Hello, listeners. My name is Abigail, and welcome to Nobody's Podcast. For those of you who are confused by the title, I would suggest first that you read the Odyssey because it is absolutely amazing, or just stay tuned because I will definitely be covering it at some point, hopefully soon. I would like to start out by saying that I have been a colossal nerd for classical mythology for quite some time now, so much so that I am majoring in classical civilizations and minoring in English at Texas A&M University. Gagum. So, a lot of my information on the matter comes from the classics classes at my university. And wow, that is so hard to say. Classics classes. Anyways, the rest of the sources I use for this podcast will be listed below the episode. I think. I haven't actually decided if I'm going to start a website that will include that information or not, but I suppose it will depend on whether I can fit all of my sources in the description and how successful I am in this endeavor. All of that being said... Let's jump on in to our very first topic. Episode 1. Even the basics are crazy in ancient Greece. For this episode, I am pretty much solely going off the words of our dear friend Hesiod. Hesiod was one of the earliest Greek poets that we know of, living from about 730 to 700 BC, and he has three surviving works, two of which are incredibly famous. Those two being Catalog of Women and Theogony. Catalog of Women details the <clears throat> relations between mortal women and the gods and tells of their heroic offspring. I don't know if you could hear the finger quotes around the word relations, but I can assure you, they were there. And Theogony explains, well, really the beginning of everything for the Greeks, religion-wise, that is. Since today is the beginning of my podcast, and because almost every other classical podcast out there seems to use this as a starting point, we will be talking about Theogony. And honestly, when you're jumping into the world of ancient Greek mythology, epics, plays, and pretty much anything produced during the classical time period, you need a foundation to go off of or it really doesn't make sense. So this is a good starting point and I can understand why everyone chooses it. Now it's time to tell the story of the origin of our world from the Greek's perspective. Everything begins with chaos. I don't mean the kind of chaos that is disorder and confusion. No, I mean the primordial being chaos. Where we get the common word chaos that I was just talking about. Chaos is nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean she is a giant gaping chasm of emptiness. Chaos is the first being, and chaos is a vast abyss. And I don't know how many more times I can say the word chaos in under a minute, so we're going to move on. After chaos came Gaia. It would be easiest to think of Gaia as Mother Earth, although really she is the Earth itself. In fact, she is usually depicted as a woman laying down, except instead of her body ending, she just melts into the ground. Hesiod describes Gaia as holding both the peaks of Everest and the depths of Tartaros. Tartaros is another sort of primordial being. He is a deep, dark chasm in Gaia's belly. Kind of like the ancient equivalent of hell, except not. Tartaros is reserved for only the worst beings, or in other words, the ones that pose a genuine threat to the power of the gods. 
especially Zeus. Next, Eros comes into being, but not the Eros that most of you know as his Roman name, Cupid. There's actually two of this guy. One is born before Aphrodite, and the other is Aphrodite's son. It's a little confusing, but basically just think of this Eros as some great primordial being of desire. Hesiod really doesn't explain how any of these first beings come into existence. They just do. But next, he says that chaos bears both Erebus and Nyx, which kind of makes sense because Erebus is this primordial personification of darkness, and Nyx is the primordial personification of night. Actually, when I was doing research for this episode, I read on Wikipedia that Erebus is actually first mentioned before Theogony. It reads, I quote, The place of darkness between Earth and Hades, which I think is beautiful, and I did not know that. After Erebus and Nyx are born, they get right down to it, and Night, or Nyx, gives birth to Aether and Day. Aether is the primordial personification of the part of the sky that holds the air that the gods breathe, which I also think is really cool. I do think it's a little weird that literal darkness and literal night could produce day and part of the sky, but who am I to judge? Also, it's weird that they are brother and sister and incest, you know, but this seems to be a common theme in ancient Greece. Very Game of Thrones-esque, if I do say so myself. Or actually, I guess I should say it's the other way around and Game of Thrones is very ancient Greek-esque, but I digress. Back to our friend Hesiod. And I guess in this origin story, women can have babies all on their own, which is kind of cool, because next thing Gaia does is pop out Oranos with no help at all. Oranos is basically the personification of the sky. At this point, Hesiod makes sure to point out that even though Gaia just gave birth to Oranos, she literally birthed him as a grown man, and he is her equal. Weird, I know, but I'm guessing he adds that detail to justify that the next thing that she does is sleep with him. Well, it's not the very next thing, I guess. First, she lone births some mountains and nymphs and a water god named Pontos. But still, it was pretty dang soon after she mothered the dude, so yeah, it's weird. Gaia then gives birth to a crap ton of kids, all fathered by Oranos. These kids include all 12 titans, most of which are, I hate to say it, Not that important, but I will still tell you their names, just to be thorough. We have Okeanos, Koyos, Kreos, Hyperion, Iapetos, Thea, Rhea, Themis, Nemesine, Phoebe, Tethys, and last but certainly not least, Kronos. Kronos already hates his dad from the moment he is born, apparently. So convenient. Gaia then gives birth to three Cyclops, which, as most of you probably know, are giant men with one eyeball. These Cyclops' names are Brontus, Steropes, and Argus. Those names, respectively, literally mean Thundercloud, Lightning Wallop, and Flash. Keep in mind that that is translated from Greek and they would have been speaking Greek, so can you imagine your mom calling you Thunder Wallop? because I certainly cannot. Honestly, Flash had it easy, and that's all I'm gonna say. Next, Gaia has three Hecatonchires, 
And I'm just going to say that one more time, really slow. Hecatonk hyres. That is the word. This word literally means hundred-handed ones, which is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, just think about a guy with 100 hands. That is insanity. I like to think of them as like these giant puffballs made of arms with two legs sticking out the bottom, but I must admit that is not accurate. <laughs> Their names are Cotus, Briarios, and Gyges. And guys, get this. Their names mean seagoat, furious, and big-limbed. I was dying when I read that. I mean, Gaia, what kind of insanity is this? Please don't name your children Seagoat anymore. Okay, and those are all the children of Gaia and Oranos that Hesiod cares to mention. I mean, that was a lot, though, wasn't it? All I'm going to say is that Gaia and Oranos were busy. And after all of that, Hesiod basically tells us that Oranos kind of thought all of his kids except for the Titans were ugly. Which is mean. So, every time Gaia would give birth to one, he would take the kid away from her and hide it. Presumably in Tartaros. Which kind of sucks, but instead of just being a normal person and telling her husband to stop stealing their children, Gaia decides that she might as well plot to have him castrated. So strange, really. I might add that we definitely don't feel bad for Oranos at all in this story because Hesiod gives us the gross detail that this dude delights in imprisoning his children inside of his wife. I mean, Tartaros is described as the Earth's belly, so they're somewhere inside of her because, need I remind you, Gaia is literally the Earth. And I quote, Oranos would conceal them all in hiding places in Gaia and did not send them back into the light, and he delighted in his evil deed. Ew, dude. Needless to say, Gaia is none too pleased by this baby thievery, and she decides to forge a sickle out of adamantine, which can only remind me of the fictional metal adamantium from Wolverine, but actually it is different in case you were wondering. So, Gaia goes to her children with this large sickle and basically begs them all to help her avenge Oranos's unseemly deeds. However, they're far too afraid of their father, and not one of them will speak up until finally, Kronos of Crooked Counsel, as Hesiod calls him, decides to volunteer his services. Just a little foreshadowing from Hesiod for you. So, they put their plan in action. That night, when Oranos comes to Gaia, hoping to produce yet another child he will inevitably take from her arms, Kronos jumps out from behind a bush and castrates him. Okay, Hesiod doesn't actually say it like that, but he does say that Oranos was very ready to do the deed when he was ambushed by Kronos, so close enough. Kronos then throws Oranos's manly parts as far as he can. And believe it or not, this is where it gets even weirder. As the genitals fly through the air, blood sprays from them and soaks the earth, aka Gaia. Yeah, you guessed it. 
The blood impregnates Gaia yet again, and as the years go on, she gives birth to the Arrhenes, better known as the Furies, the Giants, and the Ash Tree Nymphs. Y'all, I swear I am not making this stuff up. This is just the kind of absolute craziness that is another reason why these stories are so dang entertaining. But we're not even done with those manly bits yet. There's more. When they're done flying through the air, they land in the sea. And apparently the waves were rough because Hesiod tells us that they float around in there being tossed and turned for a long time. And from this tossing and turning, a magical white sea foam begins to form. And from this sea foam, a beautiful woman begins to form. Yep, you heard that right. A beautiful woman forms from the junk foam. And not just any beautiful woman, but Aphrodite, the drop-dead gorgeous goddess of desire and love herself. In fact, she is also known as Philomedes, which directly translates as genital loving. All because she was born from some castration foam. So fun! Next, Hesiod talks about the seemingly endless amount of children that Nyx bears including the personifications of death, doom, sleep, dreams, blame, woe, retribution, deceit, passion, old age, strife, and so many more that I don't want to bore you with. Some that are worth mentioning, however, are the Hesperides, who are the nymphs of the West, sunsets and evenings. They become very important later in mythology because they protect the golden apples of the Hesperides, those apples are their apples. Hercules, amongst other heroes, visits them for one of his labors, so naturally, they're quite famous. It is also sometimes said that the titan Atlas, who holds up the sky, fathered the Hesperides, which would make sense because in the Odyssey, Calypso is the daughter of Atlas, and she is also listed as one of the Hesperides on more than one occasion, but it would also not make sense because in Theogony, Atlas is born after the Hesperides. Anyway, I'm rambling, but just another example of the confusion that happens in these stories. Now let's get back to Hesiod. Even though, really, this next part gets a little painful, because Hesiod, did you have to give us such a long list of names? I mean, I suppose it wouldn't really be a full account of the beginning if you didn't give us all the genealogies, but guys... It is pages upon pages of women bearing children. Many of them are actually recognizable names, however, such as Medusa and the Gorgon Sisters, and Styx and Helios, etc., etc. But if I feel it is very important for you all to know everything there is about these gods, goddesses, titans, and monsters, I will tell you in a future episode. Now let's get back to the good stuff. So... Kronos is the ruler of everything now, and Oronos just kind of loses all of his power from not having his manly genitals. I think it says something about the society, but still. Sadly, Kronos turns out to be even worse than his dad. A lot worse, actually. Which is really saying something about the gene pool here. He subdues his sister Rhea, the titan of female fertility and motherhood, and she bears him a child. Yeah, subdues. Actually, she bears him multiple children. Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon. 
and he eats them as she gives them to him, one by one. Yes, he eats them. Or more accurately, swallows them whole. And apparently, this is why. After castrating Oranos, Kronos was supposed to free Gaia's children. Yep, remember the Cyclops and Hecatonchires and all those others that were trapped in Tartaros? Well, Kronos got the position of head honcho and decided that his siblings really were too ugly and just too dang powerful to be walking around as free monster men. So he kept them imprisoned. Of course, this pissed Gaia off, so she did what she does best and began scheming. She told Kronos that he was destined to be overthrown by one of his children, just like his father was. Thus begins the baby eating, because apparently that is the only way to prevent a loss of kingship. Now, I cannot stress enough how confusing it is to me that Rhea waited until her sixth child to try and trick the dude, but she did. She just handed over each baby and watched him swallow it, and by the fifth one, I guess she was getting tired of it. So, she goes to her mom, Gaia, and begs her to hide her during the birth so she could trick Kronos. Gaia, ever the planner, agrees immediately, and when Rhea gives birth to Zeus away from the sight of Kronos, she hides him in a cave. Then good old Rhea wraps up a rock in swaddling clothes and hands that to Kronos instead, because I guess babies feel like rocks now. The gods must have been some heavy babies, too, because Kronos doesn't even bat an eye, and he swallows said rock without a care in the world. Oh, fatherhood. But wait, there's more. There is always more. A year later, Gaia gives Kronos an emetic, and he vomits out all of his children and the rock in reverse order. And with the help of Gaia, Zeus, also now fully grown takes action against his father. Now, this part of theogony gets a little fuzzy and very long-winded. Basically, Zeus and his siblings and a couple of the titans that sided with him wage a ten-year-long war against the other titans and the giants for control of the cosmos. At some point during this process, Zeus eventually releases Kronos' siblings, the ones we were talking about earlier, from their prison. And out of gratitude, the monsters forge him his thunderbolts, Hades his helmet of darkness, and Poseidon his trident. Crazy that they learned all that down there. I mean, who would have guessed? Very resourceful, very impressive. Finally, with the help of his newfound allies, Zeus and his siblings overthrow the giants and titans and thus overthrow Kronos. Hesiod tells us that they throw all of the titans and giants and everyone else who opposed them into Tartaros. Which, honestly, I'm not gonna lie, is a pretty fitting end for the guy who kept his siblings in Tartaros. Then the whole thing dissolves into genealogy again and myths which we can discuss at a later time. But that is the beginning of the gods and so many amazingly wacky stories that I am just so endlessly fascinated by. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the first episode of Nobody's Podcast and for listening to me ramble about one of the subjects that I love most in this world. I really can't even believe that I am actually doing this and I will be so happy if even one person listens and is entertained by this podcast. 
I will be coming out with weekly episodes, hopefully, although I cannot promise that they will be the best quality because I'm still trying to teach myself how to edit. I'm thinking about starting some social media pages for the podcast, but for now, please just share with your friends who appreciate this kind of dorkiness as much as you do. I am excited to be doing this, and I cannot wait to give you more content. For now, I hope you have a very mythological week, and until I see you again, try not to swallow any rocks. Or babies, for that matter. Just don't.